The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. Emily Bouchard. She is a wealth, money, and family coach, and she's the managing partner at Wealth Legacy Group, which you can find out about at her website, which is wealthlegacygroup.net. She's based in San Rafael, California. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Emily. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be here. So let's start with a little bit of your background and how you came to do uh, what you are now as a uh, wealth, money, and family coach. Yeah, it's uh, not your typical journey. I had no idea this work existed. I have a social work degree, and I'm really passionate about families and family systems and uh, how do we really get along and deal with difficult situations and transitions in families. And I was referred to a company in 2004 that worked with preparing um uh, the beneficiaries of family businesses and family trusts to be able to take on that wealth and responsibility uh, because I had started a coaching practice for blended families. So that's my specialty. I come from a step family. I married into a step family. I became a step mom and I have step grandchildren and I was uh applying all these things I learned in my studies and family dynamics and family therapy. And I was in the trenches in a blended family situation of my own. Like when you have uh, kids from prior marriages coming together, um, I was coming in without kids, but there were all these other different complexities we were dealing with. And then my youngest stepdaughter had a baby when she was 19. So instead of having my own children, I helped raise a granddaughter. So it was a very unique situation. And then I found myself working with these ultra high net worth families with 25 million or more in assets that had a lot of complexities, a lot of blended family issues and traditional family issues and in-laws being treated as outlaws. And I found that what I had to offer in terms of family dynamics really translated well. And it doesn't matter how much money you have. It's more, I'm sure you've seen this, Jordan, um, that the more money we have, it's like wax on wood and it amplifies whatever the issues are that are there um, in more uh, vivid nature, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And so I like to do what I can to... Um, ease the conflict, bring greater satisfaction, and really give people skills to be able to uh, navigate very challenging conversations and decisions with ease and grace, respect, and staying connected. Um, and it was fascinating because I didn't know anything about the field. And when I did my research and learned that 70% of the time wealth transfers and families fail, I became really interested in what was happening to the families. And it wasn't just about the money. The family blew apart. They weren't able to stay connected. And it's, I felt like that could be maybe avoided, where people could stay connected and together, and they could really enjoy what the family had for a much longer period of time. 
So what are the services you're actually offering? Is it counseling to the families? Is it financial planning? What are the actual services that people get uh, when they hire you? Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you asked. We don't do anything related to financial planning. We collaborate and do joint ventures or work collaboratively with financial planners, estate planning attorneys, CPAs. We don't do that part. We are wealth psychology um, specialists, and we deal with the qualitative side of wealth. So we work with inheritors who have issues with shame and guilt and um, overwhelm related to what they weren't prepared for. Uh, We work with couples in terms of the uh, purposeful prenup conversation. That's my current book project is how do you have the conversation about your prenup, your your future, your money uh, before you even get married. And then uh, parents, how to raise kids that are... uh, really empowered versus entitled or spoiled. Uh, We do groups for women, and we do a lot of family work, family meetings, blended family family businesses, consulting, and then we train advisors on these qualitative issues. So yeah, we do one-on-one consulting, group work, and then family meetings, family dynamics. Let's take a kind of broader look at the whole blended family situation. I mean, people kind of maybe aren't too familiar with the exact problems that come up, but when uh, you know there's a, two families that were apart become together, what are some of the financial issues uh, that come up? Uh, I mean, do each of the spouses want to keep things separate and only have their own kids inherit their money? And how do you blend the whole thing? Just give us a little flavor of kind of what problems you deal with when there are blended families. Oh yeah, great question, and it's it is so diverse, right? There, each family's different, so we we definitely acknowledge that and. When you're thinking about blended families, one of the biggest issues is conflict of interest. So imagine that you know um, a husband has remarried to a second wife. She has children from a prior marriage. He has children from his prior marriage, and then they have children together. And then he's looking at, okay, if I pass away first, I want her to be able to stay in the home, but I want the home to be owned by my children from my prior marriage. Well, what is the setup going to be? Is, she, is the stepmother going to be paying rent to her stepchildren? And then it gets more complicated if you're looking at a co-ownership in a family business or maybe where the children are owners, but the step-parent is going to be getting uh, being a beneficiary of a certain trust and the step-parent's going to want to maximize the distributions or the dividends and the uh, stepchildren may want to reinvest them and have them be for long-term gains. So it's a huge issue in step-family situations. And I mean, an example that I love to tell is one that we ended up being in the Wall Street Journal about when uh, James Gandolfini, the actor from The Sopranos, passed away. He had a blended family situation. He had an older uh, teenage son from his first marriage, and he had an infant daughter, nine months old, from his second marriage. And he uh, created a situation where they both were co-owners of a property in Italy that he was hoping would be this great legacy and time for the family to stay connected. And they weren't allowed to do anything with the property or sell it until the youngest turned 25. So here he wasn't going to be there to guide them. He wasn't going to be able to be there to build this bridge between his two kids and his two families. And they were then saddled with this incredibly challenging, um, meaningful and loaded, emotionally loaded property that they, um, you know, that that estate planning had a huge impact on those lives. 
So that's like one example. But fair versus equal and um, uh, conflicts of interest would be the two biggest ones. In Is it possible to treat all the kids completely alike no matter where they came from? Is that, that not possible? There's too much emotional baggage. Oh, you know, anything's possible. I love to say that. What happens is there can be a real clash in values in terms of what the different uh, members of the couple have and want. So I worked with one couple where he had two children from a prior marriage and two children with his current spouse, and she only had the two children, right? And so he wanted all four of his children treated equally in the estate because they were all his kids. And her response was, no, they need to be treated fairly because the other two children have a mother and they have the benefits of her, you know, estate to whatever degree she chooses to do. My children only have me. So there isn't an equal status of these kids and they need to be treated differently, fairly, but differently. And they were at a real sticking point in their uh, estate planning process. And that's why we were, uh, they were referred to us and we came in to work with them to help them get through that logjam because their money types got in the way. And I'm excited to talk to you about that yes. in terms of their different approaches. And we needed to really look at, wow, how can we communicate differently? How can we bring forward other approaches to this to see it newly so they could come up with a solution that worked for both of their values and what mattered to both of them because it was so different. So you're able to cut through these log jams, as you put it, and in every case, have them come out, be happy, and have the whole family go on merrily and it works that well? Every case, of course. No, <laughs> that's the goal, right? It's, it's only what we want. And I think that we can hold that out. And one of the things we promise our clients is process. We don't promise outcomes because we can, and you know this from the money types, we can't guarantee that people are going to make the changes they need to make to have the successful outcome that's possible. All we can do is let them know the process, that if they follow this process, they can have a different outcome than the trajectory they're heading on. But we also know that people are going to make the choices that they're going to make, and we can't in any way force somebody to change. What we can do is just highlight for them and illuminate what could happen if they go down a certain route and are willing to do the, the uh, new practices required to get there. So how do you work with a financial planner? You come up with an emotional solution, I guess you might say, and then they implement it, or do you work as a team? How do you have the financial people part of your social work piece, I guess you might call it? Right. We do it totally collaboratively, and we let the client know up front. Uh, typically, we are brought in by a, a financial advisory firm or a CPA or an estate planning attorney, uh, a private banking team, and they go as far as they can, and it's like, we have this stop. We need to bring in somebody who understands these qualitative emotional issues. We're not experts in that, but we know people who are. The clients end up trusting the advisors even more because of that. You know, we do what we do well, and we definitely make sure you have access to others that don't, can do this part well. And then hey. what we do... Oh, sorry? Go ahead, go ahead. And then what we do is when we work with the clients, we will then... Uh, come up with different ideas, uh, new approaches. We'll look at what's going on in terms of the communication with the uh, advisors that isn't going as well. And then we find out from them how they would like us to best communicate with the advisor uh, so that we're keeping, they're respected and they know what's going to be shared and what isn't. And then we go back to the advisor and we say, you know, given their learning styles, given their money types, Instead of using these spreadsheets and 23 pages, could you do a two-page summary, color-coded, and, and a graph or pie chart with a, with a 
really specific examples in these particular domains, for example. Like, so we give them direction on how to best give the client the material in a way that the, the client can digest it, understand it. And then we also will give them direction in terms of, hey, they, they want this to be fair and they want it to be within these parameters. And then the advisors feel really empowered to efficiently produce for them what they're asking for. So it works out really well on both sides. It seems like there could be a lot of disparity if you have a 25-year-old and a six-month-old. <laughs> you know, one can yeah. speak up for themselves and one really can't. So how can you be fair when everybody doesn't have an equal voice? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, what we do is when we do family meetings, we will definitely include as many family members as we can, in-laws as well, and uh, 16-year-olds and older. And what we'll do is we will have a chance to really explore the whole family's uh, approach in terms of their values, in terms of their their money messages, um, what is it that they want to bring forward into their future and their legacy? What is it that they want to let go of that's not necessarily serving the family so well? And since the whole family is designing it together as opposed to the, you know, the matriarch or patriarch, what will happen is then when younger members of the family come in or people get married, uh, there's a way of incorporating them in as they become uh, more trusted as part of the family or they become age appropriate and they're able to understand it. And then uh, having people plan and think with this longer range vision, not just who's here right now, but okay, if we were going to be, if this is going to be shared with somebody when I'm not even here and alive to share it, what is it I really want them to know and understand? And then that helps people with a longer vision. Very interesting. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Emily Bouchard. Uh, She is a wealth, money, and family coach, a managing partner at Wealth Legacy Group. Their website, wealthlegacygroup.net. She's based in San Rafael, California. As you can see, she's an expert on blended families and a lot of other topics we'll get to as well. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Emily Bouchard. She's the Wealth, Money, and Family Coach at Wealth Legacy Group. Their website, wealthlegacygroup.net. She's in San Rafael, California. Welcome back to the show, Emily. Thanks, Jordan. So we talked about these blended family issues. Now, you've actually done a book on this called Estate Planning for the Blended Family. Uh, How could people get that book? And just give us a brief idea of if you want to do this right, how can you plan these things out in advance to avoid all kinds of intergenerational conflict? Oh, I love it! And two words, you know, two minutes or less. I love it. Um, so, um, they can you can get the book on Amazon. It's uh, estate planning for the blended family. It's co-authored uh, with a former estate planning attorney, L. Paul Hood Jr., who's a really in-depth authority on these complex blended family issues in estate planning. And I think if your listeners took away one thing from this show related to blended family issues, it is get your beneficiaries updated and in order. And I'm sure you see this all the time, which I can't tell you how many stories I've heard that are so sad and unnecessary, where a really loving couple, second marriage, third marriage, they've done all their estate planning documents, one of them dies unexpectedly and they find out that they never got around to doing the change of their beneficiaries and those always trump your will. So if you have a 401k, if you have a bank account, if you have life insurance and you've designated your former spouse as the beneficiary, that spouse is going to get what you designated, even if you're now remarried to somebody else. And so you want to make sure that you've updated those because our lives change. I think people really get confused because they think that, oh, I've done my estate planning, I'm done. And they don't realize that it needs to get updated, uh, you know, every five years at least. But whenever there's a transition in life, births, deaths, divorce, whatever it might be, uh, marriage of your kids getting married, their grandkids, whatever it might be, you want to make sure that you're updating not just your wills, not just your trusts, but your beneficiaries as well. And it's so often overlooked because it's not urgent, it's not pressing, but we never know when that's going to be taking into effect. We just don't, we don't know when our time is going to come and you don't want to put it off. Is this something estate planning lawyers would work with you to revise your will, revise your trusts, all these things, and then make sure that you get uh, your beneficiary is updated. Is that something that's kind of in their uh, province? It would be really smart of them to do it. Yeah, but typically uh, they they don't necessarily follow up with you. They take it as it's your responsibility to do it. We mm-hmm. strongly recommend it. In fact, Paul and I this week are uh, recording a three-part series for the Ultimate Estate Planner where we're training advisors on how to use the uh, strategies from our book to be really effective with their blended family clients. And it's one of the things we really encourage them is it's a great way to stay in contact with your clients. It's a great way to stay connected with all the people in the blended family. And, you know, I have to say, uh, it's the Oscars week. We've got um, a lot of incredible movies out right now. And I don't know if you saw Manchester by the Sea. Yes. (laughs) But what a phenomenally compelling story about a uncle 
who was made trustee and guardian right. of his nephew without ever being told about it. And the lawyers there totally flummoxed, like, what, what do you, uh, uh, how could your brother not have told, of course he would have told you, no. So there is a presumption on the part of a lot of estate planning attorneys that when somebody says, this is what I want, that they're, they're then going to go forward and follow through. And that's a huge miss. And that's what we work with a lot of blended families on because it is so complex. What can happen if you don't make those changes? And estate planning is not just about assets, but it's about guardianship and kind of how the family goes on as well, right? Oh, yeah. And end of life issues. Oh, my gosh. In our book, we use partner instead of spouse because, you know, there's a lot of same-sex couples and and couples also that uh, are choosing not to get married or can't get married based on what how things are set up in their lives. And uh, you want to be crystal clear in your documentation if something happens to you, who you want to be making your decisions. Because if you don't have your power of attorney, your durable power of attorney for your medical needs spelled out and legally defined within your state, uh, it can cause a huge issue if something does happen to you and you're incapacitated. And uh, somebody that you love dearly is not designated and you're not married to them, your state could say, no, your, your blood relatives, your former spouse, the parent of your children, has more rights to do that than your current spouse or, or current, I say, cohabitation partner. Mm-hmm. So that sort of thing, yeah. What, what are some of the other downsides if people do not take care of estate planning for a blended family? What can go wrong? Oh, my gosh. There are so many things. Um one of the big ones is uh, having to do with the home. So it's, you know, you're dealing with the loss. You're dealing with your beloved spouse or partner no longer being there. And all of a sudden, you may find out that you don't have ownership in that home. Or you haven't been set up in a way to make it so that you could afford to be in that home. Or your stepkids are suddenly in the position of owning it and having this authority over you. Um, I saw one situation that was really sad where a husband thought he had completely set up his second wife for the rest of her life, but he hadn't anticipated getting dementia and being um, in a nursing home for 12 years. And the trustee that he put in place uh, got trustee fatigue and his son, her stepson, ended up getting into the role of trustee and then cut her off from everything that her husband had set up for her. Wow. Because because he was going to be the beneficiary after she passed away. So when you have trustees in the role of um, having a conflict of interest in terms of what's going to happen, you know, if they're going to benefit from that trust, that's a huge issue in, in blended families. Sounds very complicated. So just tell us a little bit about the book. What kind of steps did you take people through to do correct estate planning? And this not only is for blended families, this is for regular families as well. But what are some of the steps you take people through in this book? Yeah, uh, it is, you know, just imagine if it's good for a blended family, how great it is for any family. Um, It's a really easy to read book. And what we do is each chapter goes into different aspects of uh, estate planning. So everything from like lifetime planning, things you can do, how you can transition, things that you own, assets you have while you're alive, um, how you can take care of education, how you can take care of, um, uh, you know, needs of somebody who might be challenged in some way. Um, and we take people through, each chapter goes into different aspects of the whole estate planning process. And what we do is we have action steps at the end of each chapter. And uh, Paul and I had a blast writing the book because he would send me the chapter that he'd written it from a legal perspective. And then I would say, oh, 
okay, we got too much jargon here. We need to do some outtake boxes. And I would read it from the standpoint of somebody who didn't understand the law at all, but needed this information. So we made it really accessible for everybody. So anytime there were like acronyms, there's so many acronyms in estate planning, clats and grats and idits and illits and, and they get thrown around all the time. And you know, with the uh, money types, people can get really overwhelmed by it. They can get uh, really flummoxed. They can have the sense of, you know, they know more than I do. Um, and they don't, it causes people to not engage in the process. And so what we did was we made it very engaging. We created checklists for people, how to be able to choose your advisors well, how to do your due diligence. Uh, if you're only going to do one thing, this is your first priority. So we really spell it out. And then I think the second chapter uh, is all about communication. So one of the biggest issues for couples uh, that are needing to do estate planning, and especially in blended families, is how do we have these conversations go well? How do we make it so that we take care of both concerns or the concerns of all the people we love? Because it's so it can be so emotionally loaded. Anytime we're talking about uh, estate planning, we're talking about anticipating our own death. Nobody wants to do that. No. So... Uh, anything we can do to to minimize the emotional uh, reactivity around it and make it so people can communicate effectively, we feel strongly about. And so the second chapter highlights um, how to communicate effectively. And we talk about the money types that I use in my work um, in there to help couples understand it better and what might be getting in the way of them being successful. And then there's a CD-ROM included with the book. What is on the CD-ROM? And the book, again, is called Estate Planning for the Blended Family. Yeah, and it's so funny. It's like, oh wow, we have to. It's it's now that's downloadable as well, because <laughs> you know more devices don't have those anymore. But it's it has a whole bunch of different checklists. So it it makes it so that, oh wow, where do we start for our blended family estate planning process? You have a whole bunch of different documents in there to support you in going through it. Like, okay, what are the documents I need to collect, and what's the data I need to have? What are the questions I need to ask an estate planning attorney? What are the things that we need to make sure we have in place first before we do this next step? So it helps people like step by step break it down into smaller and smaller steps so they can incrementally over the course of a year really get everything in place and it's not so overwhelming and then they can have a really great process. And then when they need to update, they also have it very well organized so they know what they need to do to update when. It seems like you go into to some extent in the book that the worst possible case is people get disinherited and there's just major rifts in families because this is not planned out. You're saying that if, if there's goodwill around, all these things can be avoided with proper planning. Is that right? Yeah, and communication, right? So it's one of the reasons that disinheritance happens and this reactivity happens is because there's this huge vacuum that gets created between people when we don't communicate about what we're thinking and then we fill it with the worst case scenarios and we always think if we see somebody behaving a certain way we'll make an assessment about why they're doing it as opposed to connecting with them about it and I mean I have a really sad example where um, a father is the opposite of disinheritance but it also proves it uh, a, a father wanted his son to continue to own and run the business after he passed away and he didn't want the son to have to deal with any exorbitant uh, estate uh, taxes and so he had a very big life insurance policy and he did a lot of sacrificing in his life to make sure that he paid the huge premium all the time for it and when he passed away 
and the uh, advisor gave the son this incredible amount of money that came from the uh, the life insurance payout with the idea that it would pay for all the estate taxes. The son was absolutely devastated, did not know his father was doing this. And he said, look, I never wanted to work in the business. I was just doing it out of loyalty and obligation to my father. I want to sell it as soon as possible and get on with my life. <laughs> They'd never, and he was devastated because his father could have enjoyed all that money during his lifetime. So there was no communication. It was an assumption None. on the father's part. Yes. Exactly. It was like the gift of the magi. I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's it's so sad. But I, you know, one of the reasons I tell the story is because people think that people know and they don't. And you want to connect with each other and say, "Hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. These are the reasons why." And I really want to know what you think. And you need to create enough safety in your conversations that a son like that could say, "Hey, dad, I love you. I'm going to stick with this business as long as you're alive. I'm going to help you make it as successful as possible. And it's not what I want to be doing with my life, and I'm not going to continue it when you pass away. So, let's think about succession planning that would be even smarter." You know, that would have been a whole other relationship, right? Indeed. Very good. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Emily Bouchard. She's a wealth, money, and family coach at Wealth Legacy Group based in San Rafael, California. Her website is wealthlegacygroup.net. And the book we just referred to is called Estate Planning for the Blended Family, uh, published by Self Council Press. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Emily Bouchard, is a wealth, family, and money coach. Her uh, company is called Wealth Legacy Group in San Rafael, California. Her website, wealthlegacygroup.net. Welcome back to the show, Emily. Thanks, Jordan. So we talked about it in the context of the blended family, but another thing you're very big on is money types. So you've, you've done an ebook, which I think is available at your website, called Take Charge of Your Inny, Inner Money Life, Practical Guide and Info Packet with the Money Types Assessment Tool. So kind of... Tell us a little bit about that and uh, why are money types so important to making helping people make better financial decisions? Oh, I'm so looking forward to having this conversation with you. So the ebook was written as a supplement to uh, the book that I wrote with 
uh, Paul Hood on estate planning for the blended family. Because uh, in chapter two, we talk about the money types, but we didn't have the space to really dive into them. And we wanted to give people a supplement and uh, people really love it. So it goes into detail about the eight most common archetypal patterns people have related to money. And the way that we look at this is our patterns, much like what you say in your book on money types, um, have to do with the money messages we had when we were children growing up, the meaning we made about experiences we had, our first experiences with money and how they got ingrained in us. And it was fascinating to learn in the research that our predominant approach to money is largely formulated by the time we're seven years old. And it's like part of who we are. It's part of our makeup. And we have all eight options. And we actually have more, but these are the most common eight. And the more we can understand how they interface with each other, how they relate with other people, how they relate when money is involved, uh, we can then have the sense of empowerment related to them and how we can be effective as opposed to waylaid by them. And is I'll it give- based on nurture or nature? I mean... Uh, two people, two kids in the same family in the same circumstances might have different money types. So there must be some nature as well as nurture in, in figuring out which type people are. Oh, yeah. It's a great question. It's definitely a combination of both. And it has so much to do with family systems, right? So what we, we look at it is when somebody comes to us and they say, we've got a problem with this person in the family. They don't want to have anything to do with money. They're an ostrich, or in my case, they might be an innocent or a victim, what what we'll do is we'll say, yes, that person is really being debilitated by their predominant money type. There's no question about it. And they're part of a whole family system where they developed an understanding that that adaptive strategy was the best way to get their needs met in the world. And so we never make anybody wrong for which of the money types is most prominent for them. And we recognize that everybody has all eight of them and we just, at a very young age, make a decision internally, unconsciously, of which route to take. And in family systems, if one person, if, you know, I have an older brother, total achiever. Oh, my gosh. I was, I was reading your book, Jordan, and I, he's a total striver. And it's like, okay, um, that position's been really well taken in my family. So I took on the ostrich that would be in your book or the innocent and in my uh, yes. vernacular. Um, and so, and then my younger brother, he was challenged with the victim martyr one. So it's like we have different ones that come to the fore because of our roles, or it could be our birth order, could be our disposition, could be all kinds of different things. But what we do is we don't look so much at the why, we look at it more of, okay, what's happening? What's working for you with it? And if something's not working for you, and if you have some challenges that you want to address, how can you get there? And you know, empowering people to shift those um, approaches, even when that's their automatic response. Just so people know, Emily's referring to a book I did, which is called Master Your Money Type, uh, which talks about six different money types. So we're, we're both on the same page here. So let's briefly go over the eight money types that you've identified. Just briefly kind of tell people what they're about. The first one being the innocent. What does it mean to be the innocent? Well, the innocent is a lot like the ostrich that you describe, and I know it intimately because that would be mine. And that is um that's a money type that says, "Whoa, this is really overwhelming. Uh, other people are better at this than I am. 
Let me take a back seat. Uh, let me avoid it. You know, you have a strong innocent archetype. If you don't look at your bank statements, you um, you tend to be surprised when your account gets low. Um, you uh, don't have a really ongoing awareness of how You're much you have. Attention. You're not paying You're attention. You're not paying attention. You have yeah. other things that you matter more to you than the money. You um, you don't necessarily have disdain for money. That would be more the creator artist or um, uh, like they, they, where you don't want to really be as engaged with it as much, um, which also goes into your ostrich. Um, but the, it's more of a... Uh, I don't understand that world, and it's uh, pretty looming and overwhelming for me. The second so. one is the fool. So describe what the fool money type is like. The fool money types like your high rollers, and uh, they're the ones that are totally optimistic. Think that they're going to land on their feet no matter what. They tend to want uh, to do the next get rich quick thing, uh, and they don't necessarily look before they leap. And one of the things I like to say about the fool is we all need that part of that archetype that has us take risks, right? Because any investment we have has an element of risk to it. Entrepreneurs have a strong fool archetype. Now, the ones that are successful connect it to another one, which is the warrior, because the warrior loves doing the due diligence. And those two hand in hand can make great decisions financially for your business and for uh, you know, calculated risks. Uh, that's what you want. A fool by itself or a fool with an innocent, really bad combination. I went through that in my first marriage and disaster, right? Like the fool's going to be like, let's do this Ponzi scheme. Oh my gosh, the innocent's going to be like, yeah, great idea. You know, it's just <laughs> not good. So. so let's talk about the warrior, which is one of the other money types. So they're more calculating in the way they take risks. Is that the idea? Yes, they would be more like the striver um, for what you had to say about them. Uh, they're going to be... Um, uh, fascinated by financial advising. They're going to be the ones that are going to go online and they're going to be checking the stocks. They're going to be looking at um, when to buy, when to hold. Like They love the strategy involved. They love understanding. And if they don't understand, they know how to find out. They get mentors. They read books. They look at the financial section. They're, um, they're very grounded in their approach. And if they don't know something, it's for them a challenge to get excited about. Whereas an innocent would be more like, I don't know, I don't understand, I'm going to avoid. So yeah. there's a real distinction between them. So another of your money types is the victim. So how does that work? Uh, you know that a victim mark archetype has come up front and center for you when you blame. That's some key distinction. So if you find yourself thinking about blaming somebody else or circumstances for why you're in the situation you're in, your victim's gotten activated. If you're in front of somebody, if you're an advisor and you're listening to somebody blaming a situation, their victim's been activated. And they are not the best at taking personal responsibility when that archetype has come front and center. And I want to be clear, nobody's overly identify like you're a victim or you're a fool or I'm an innocent. It's like, no, my, my pattern of relating has that quality to it. Like I'm much more than that. It's I'm, not have, you're only one. You're, you're, exactly, you could be a mix of them. Right. Exactly. And I think it's right. really important to stress that because we never want to pigeonhole somebody or say that that's what you are. It's and another one is, is the martyr. Uh, so what is the financial uh, money type of the martyr? 
The martyr is, uh, an advisor is going to know when a martyr, that a martyr is in the room when they uh, seem to be giving like tacit agreement or like nodding their head and they're engaged and then they never hear from them again or they never sign the documents. They're much more passive aggressive. They're not going to necessarily tell you what they're thinking or feeling, but when somebody's martyr is activated, they feel disempowered in the relationship and the only way they have a sense of power is by being passive aggressive, by not following through. And then the opposite of that is you have the tyrant. So how does the tyrant work? The tyrant, it's uh, and it's so interesting because all of these are not something that people would want to be identified with, and yet they're so evocative. I love them for that because we have these. Like I know when my tyrant comes out, I become righteously indignant. I become really angry. I want to um, uh, manipulate the situation so that I get what I need. And everything that's driving that in that moment is fear. There's something that I care about that's at stake, and I feel like this is the only way that I can protect it. So you know that you're working with somebody who's a tyrant, or your tyrant's activated when you are getting controlling, and you it's like my way or the highway. Because yeah. control is a fear-based way of approaching something. And then creator artist is the next one of your money types. How does that work? The highlight for that one in terms of money is very conflicted, very conflicted about money. They love what they can get with it, but they hate the fact that they need the money in order to do it. So they there's a love-hate relationship with money, and so they tend to, they might be able to make it, but they don't tend to be able to keep it very well. And they can often find themselves in debt because of their disdain for it and their desire not to have anything to do with it. Um, but then it creates a horrible cycle for them. And then your eighth one is the magician. How does that work? That's the most integrated. That's the one we want to have more than anything. And it's the idea of we're in the magician when we're in flow, when synchronicities happen. You know, you meet the right person at the right time. You have the sense of total connection. You have the sense of, wow, I this deal makes total sense. And it's like all your money types line up, right? Like your concerns are taken care of, your due diligence is really paid off. It turns out better than you can imagine. And so that's where you want to really access your full strength and your full capacity. But you're not saying that everybody can or should be a magician, right? That there are other types. I would say be the best you can be within your type. Don't try to be another one. Well, and that's where we have a distinction, which I think is fascinating. I love your book. I like how you approach it because yours is very practical. And depending on whatever one of the types that you identify with in your book, there's so many options you give people for maximizing those. And I'm all for that. I can't wait to apply everything you've said about the ostrich. Uh, And um, one of the things that we say is your life is a stage you have these different eight different characters on the stage. If you're not happy with how the scene is progressing, bring a different one forward. Have the one that's center stage go backstage. You can actually bring forward these money types that might be stronger in other aspects of your life in your money situation. So I'm always about, hey, how can you bring some more of a magical feeling to money if you avoid it like the plague? I've been using that hugely to transform my relationship with money. I've gone from being an avoider to teaching about it. So when you're dealing with clients, uh, either in the blended family situation or not, uh, are you kind of doing an assessment of which money type they are, telling them what that is, and then telling the strengths and weaknesses of that to help them make better financial decisions? 
I encourage them to discover it and I facilitate it. So in the packet that people download, there's an assessment in it that they can take and they can discover for themselves which ones are most prominent for them and how they're impacting their relationship with money. And it gives different strategies you can use to bring forward the ones you want to have more of and to take care of the ones that are more activated based on fear or worry or anxiety so that there's ways you can really uh, become empowered around all of them. So you're saying everybody has these eight money types and just some are stronger and weaker and you can actively choose to uh, emphasize one money type over another. Yes. And it does take a lot to be able to do it. And I'm living proof. (laughs) (laughs) So you being an ostrich, how are you overcoming your ostrichness? Oh my gosh, I am really cultivating my warrior and my magician. So meeting you was a total magician experience that happened. (laughs) And then what did I do? I reached out to you as a warrior and I wanted to find out about your book and your approach to money types. And what have you learned about them? So my warrior got really engaged and interested and look at what's happening. We're having a great conversation and now I'm applying it and it's it's going to inform my work even more so with people. So that's my, I really love to be a learner, a lifelong learner. So that's what I do. Terrific. All right, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. Uh, My guest this hour, Emily Bouchard, is a wealth, money, and family coach. Uh, She is the managing partner at the Wealth Legacy Group, her website, wealthlegacygroup.net. We were just talking about the uh, ebook that you can download for free at her website, which is Take Charge of Your Inner Money Life practical guide and info packet for the money types assessment tool again you can get that at wealthlegacygroup.net we'll be back after this from the boardroom to you voice america business network we hear it and read about it every day in the news is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Emily Bouchard, is wealth, money, and family coach at Wealth Legacy Group uh, based in San Rafael, California. Her website, wealthlegacygroup.net. Welcome back to the show, Emily. 
Thanks, Jordan. So now that we know the different money types, let's specifically say how it applies in the investment arena. So say you're approached with an investment opportunity that sounds too good to be true. How should you react to that? Or how would people react to that based on their money type? And what's the right way uh, to react to it? Oh, great question. Get really familiar with your money type to know which way it'll react. And the most important thing is if something sounds too good to be true, rein in your fool that's going to want to jump in and not miss out. You know, that fear of missing out can be so bad for a fool. And that fool is going to get really engaged. And the people that create these too good to be true scenarios know this. They're completely manipulating that archetype to go forward and jump in without doing the due diligence. And the most important thing that uh, we really stress in our work, and I'm sure you do this too, is if you ever feel pressured or if there's any sense of, uh, wait, this sounds good, but I don't have enough information, don't go forward. It's not worth it. Yeah, you might miss out on some great opportunity, but it's not worth it in the long run. So much money has been lost in people's lives by jumping in and not looking before you leap. So what that's some the of, key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are some of the common fears that get in the way of doing good investments? Oh, my gosh. People do not want to be taken advantage of. They do not want to be the victim of a scam. You know, we've had so many things in the media about that. And they don't want to uh, make the choice at the wrong time where the bubble's going to burst or... Uh, there's so many fears that get in the way, depending on which of your money types you have. Like, you don't want to lose your money, or you don't want to make the wrong decision, or you have this fear of um, uh, not uh, understanding it well enough and then getting taken advantage of. That's a big one, especially for the um, the ostrich or the innocent. And what you need to do is bring the warrior forward. It's the most important thing you can do is, hey, Ask a lot of questions. And what I find is when you start asking questions of somebody who's bringing an investment to you and they answer you in ways where you either don't understand or they're somehow answering you in ways that make you feel badly about yourself for not knowing or, you know, how, like, or get offended because you're somehow questioning them. Those are huge red flags not to go forward with the investment. Anybody with a sound investment is going to be able to show you grounded total due diligence, background material that you should be able to understand and that you should be able to bring to another third party who's disinterested and they can help you review it. And you even though absolutely it's, it's should about, be able to do that. Even though it's been about 10 years now, all of that supposedly worked with Bernie Madoff where you had all these super fancy advisors with all the due diligence in the world and all the proof about how well it did. And that was such, was such a shock, not only to the people directly, but to everybody else. It's like, well, they did all the due diligence and it still was a complete Ponzi scam. So what do people do? There's kind of the still fear of being taken in a Bernie Madoff-like Ponzi scheme. Well, and what's so interesting about that, I actually did a lot of research about it because I was fascinated about how that happened. And it had to do with the fact of trust. And trust is an assessment that we really teach people about that is broken down into four different quadrants. So there's reliability, sincerity, competence, and care. And Madoff really took off because of two things. One, relationship and building trusted relationships where he cared about each other. There Mm -hmm. was this care. And then when he would give information and certain advisors would say, you know, wait, these numbers are a little bit too steady too often. This this doesn't seem to pan. You know, when there was some questioning, 
he would go to this place of how can you question my sincerity and his background and his expertise and his knowledge. And what people were overlooking was reliability. The numbers did not work out reliably depending on how numbers should be working out. And when anybody did do due diligence, and there were firms that did, that they saw, wait, these numbers don't pan out. There's something here that's missing. There's something here that I'm not understanding. It had to do with reliability, and it wasn't questioning whether he was competent or sincere. It had to do with the actual numbers. And that's where you can really drill down. So if you don't want to be... um, never taken advantage of and a victim of a Ponzi scheme, again, too good to be true where the um, returns are way more than what is happening in the marketplace for too long of a consistent period of time. Yeah. And where where if a third-party analysis based on reliability of numbers came back questioning it, you need to question it. So how does one go about doing due diligence for somebody who's not an investment expert, they're not a due diligence expert, they're not a CPA or something, how can the average person do due diligence so they don't get taken? Oh, and that's something that as an ostrich, I really needed to learn as well. And so what you want to do is you want to look for third-party sources that um, you would actually pay a fee to look at the material for you and where they're not going to benefit in any way personally by what you choose to do with the investment. So in other words... They, um, they're completely disinterested third party. They're getting paid a certain amount of money as a consultant because of their understanding and expertise. They're not engaged or involved in that investment in any way. And they understand numbers and they can walk you through it in a way that you can understand it and where you have a lot of freedom to ask them any questions and where they also empower you. Okay, when I'm looking at this, these are the questions that come up for me. These are the questions you're going to want to ask these are the answers that will let you know that you need to not do this. These are the answers that let you know you need to get more information. And these are the kinds of answers that would let you know that there actually are somebody you could trust. So you're getting educated by somebody and you're hiring objective. them. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You're, being hi- you're hiring somebody to educate you on how to do your own due diligence with them having your back. We, and we even often- if you do that, how do you ultimately trust yourself when you need to rely on the advice of others to determine if an investment is good or not? Well, it's building that knowledge, right? Like I was saying, like reading the books. Like I love in your book for the ostrich, you recommend all these different websites and books. And you're somebody I've done my due diligence on. I did read your background. I saw what you've been doing, how long you've been doing it for. It wasn't just because, hey, you're such a nice guy. I met at a conference. It's like, no, I looked, I looked up your background. I wanted to see who you were. And then you're recommending things to me. And I get to see, oh, how did these sites make their money? Are they making their money on advertisers or are they charging me a fee to be a member of it? Because right then I'm going to know they're, if they're getting fees from advertisers, huh, okay, there's a certain way that they have objectivity, but there's a certain way that the advertisers might want to have some say. So you always need to be looking at that as well. So in the final minute or so we have left, what difference will it make in people's lives to take the advice you give as far as understanding people's money types and dealing with all these blended family issues? Oh, uh, the biggest difference is if they take this on and bring more self-awareness to who they are and how they have reacted tendencies towards money, the more they can be in a great responsive place. They have the ability to respond, which is taking full responsibility for themselves, their lives, and their money, and not having to worry about being a victim of other people. 
Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Emily Bouchard. She's a wealth, money, and family coach, uh, partner at uh, the Wealth Legacy Group based in San Rafael, California. You can find out more about her at her website, wealthlegacygroup.net. Her book is called Estate Planning for the Blended Family, and she's also done an e-book you can get called Take Charge of Your Inner Money Life at her website. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Emily. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.